Welcome to the Digital Ninjas Podcast. In this episode, Corinne and I talk to Andrew Blake and look into data hoarding, the signs and risks, and we share best practices to data storage and strategies to improve. Enjoy the episode. I am a box hoarder. It's not so much you never know when you're going to need a box, but for me, you never know when you're going to need the right box. Some hoarding visuals you just can't unsee, where every closet, cupboard, and drawer is forced to gorge on boxes to the point of box bloat. On-prem, in the house, boxes corded in twine, stored higher than the rafters, filling the garage, that shed. Oh, but there are limits to what you're zoned for. So then you might get some cloud storage, a storage unit down the street, the multiple storage units across town. All that reoccurring expense, the units themselves, the insurance. Oh, and don't forget the risk thoughts. Will there be weather damage? Will my precious stuff get stolen? Oh, and then you have the legacy thoughts. Who's going to be the one to finally go through the stuff? Someone you know, an auctioneer, the fire department. (laughs) Things get real, real fast. Now let's bring it down to the digital journey. Do you know any data hoarders? It's not so much that you never know when you're going to need that data. In this case, you may not know which data is the right data, you don't know when or why you would use the data, and yet you keep it anyway. Where every server, desktop, SharePoint, OneDrive, stack, layer, cloud, internal, external, archive, tape, disk, CD, thumb drive, is forced to gorge on data to the point of data bloat. It's okay. We understand. This is why we're doing this episode. Raise awareness. You are not alone. What are the signs and risks of data hoarding? And what techniques are there to beat the data bloat? To help us sort this out and provide some helpful tips, today, Corinne and I are here with Andrew Blake of Opening Bell Ventures. Andrew is a leader in digital transformations focused on enabling data to be a competitive organizational asset. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Corinne, get us started. How much data are we talking about? Thanks, Leah. Welcome, Andrew. For all of our listeners out there, I wanted to take a millisecond and go back to a correction of something that I said during our first podcast episode. I believe that I made mention that there were millions of bytes of data being generated and created on a daily basis. Well, turns out I was wrong. There are 2.5 quintillion bytes of data created on a daily basis. Social media accounts for the majority of that number. So just for comparison's sake, I found a statistic that back in 2013, there were 500 billion Microsoft Office documents created. I mean, that's just Microsoft products alone. We can also look at it from the perspective of companies acquiring all this data. They accumulate a massive amount of data from their internal day-to-day business operations, their financials, as well as their customer data. This data is captured in various systems within a company from server logs to call records, web traffic, and according to a 2020 Seagate and IDC, which is stands for International Data Corporation, they conducted a global survey that reported only 56% of the data collected in organizations relate to their day-to-day operations. And out of that 56%, 
only a little more than half was even being used. So where does the other half go? Well, it's largely unleveraged, unused. And even today, more and more companies are collecting more and more data because they realize that the use of that data is to better compete. So this term of unknown or unused data is commonly referred to as dark data. Gartner defines dark data as the information assets organizations collect, process, and store during regular business activities, but generally fail to use for other purposes. So Leah, after doing all that research, it's really impressive to understand that these businesses accumulate these massive amount of data and that I was reading in 2022, 95% of businesses cite there's a need to manage their unstructured data. And that is a big challenge or problem to be able to use it, to monetize it, and to make valid insights on. Well, that just is wild to me. So, Andrew, what are you thinking? Lee and Karen, thank you for having me on. And, and interestingly, you know, these numbers don't shock me. And in fact, depending on where our clients are in their data journey, this definitely resonates. And what I mean by that is, in most of our clients, they kind of go through these phases. The first phase is they don't collect enough information or data. So they embark on a journey to try to capture much more of it. And then typically they hit a tipping point where they're gathering a tremendous amount of both structured and unstructured data purely for the purposes of collecting it. And it's almost a situation where they say, once we collect it, we'll figure out what to do with it. And then our more advanced clients that are further in their data journey are starting to really rethink that strategy simply because collecting all this information has a lot of unintended consequences that frankly, in this day and age, increasingly are negative consequences. And so definitely this idea of data hoarding and thinking through a bit more strategically around what you collect, why you collect it, how you collect it, is something that many of our clients are thinking through right now. You said that there are some unintended consequences and risks. Take us through some of those, some examples or ways to mitigate these risks. It's a great question. Many of our clients are in some sort of regulated industry, whether you're talking about financial services, medical, et cetera. And as a result, one key risk for all of them, frankly, is data exposure risk. And I'll give you a really simple use case. If you're an organization today that is capturing all of your transactional data, let's say you're in some sort of retail business and you're capturing every single possible transaction, and let's take it even further, and you're then connecting the, that transaction data to some amount of personally identifiable information. Maybe you're not going to use all that data, but you're stitching it together internally, which is actually legal to do. That can actually be done internally. The risk you really run is what happens if you are hacked? Suddenly, it's gone from maybe unidentifiable transactional data that's exposed, which is already a serious situation, to suddenly now you've given a potential data thief literally a full profile of your customers, which is a much bigger risk exposure. Um, and so that's just one simple example. Other risks that come up are appropriate usage of this large volume of data. 
because what we also see a fair amount of is, Corinne, you mentioned it when you talk about kind of the reasons why uh, organizations have challenges with this data is it's not just capturing it, but it's also cataloging it, making sure that you're doing a quality check to make sure that it actually is accurate data. And so another potential risk if you're collecting anything and everything is fairly quickly, unless you're very organized, those control points you have to make sure that the data you're ingesting and making available for usage is good start going away, right? And so you create these risks where you might have well-intentioned data analysts in your organization using this data, but they're literally using the wrong data. So that's another kind of common risk. And then a third one that is increasingly on top of mind is the promise early on of all of these cloud-based storage mechanisms is that they are lower cost. And that is true, right? Because effectively by enabling storage of your data in the cloud, you, you are actually lowering your unit cost versus what you typically will do internally. However, even that unit cost starts becoming a bigger and bigger cost number if you keep adding data that you don't use to the storage. And so the other risk is purely kind of financial risk of your cost structure for how you're storing that data will continue to go up. And what we're seeing with some of our clients is it is kind of almost a hidden cost in that you don't see it right away necessarily if you don't have good controls in place. And all of a sudden you get hit with a monthly bill that is much higher than you expect. Some of the things that we are doing to help our clients are simple things in some instances. Getting a handle on what are their current unit costs when it comes to cloud storage. Enabling dashboards, all the major cloud storage providers, whether you're talking about AWS, Azure, um, have visibility into that cost structure. However, many of our clients, especially the operational side, aren't aware of that. So helping our clients understand how do I see in real time how much it's costing me to store all this data? On the other end of the spectrum, um, we are also helping clients review what data is actually available in their catalog and starting to ask some hard questions of, okay, well, when's the last time you touched this data set? For what purpose? Do you really need it? Or can you reduce the maybe historical data for that domain? And then kind of a third category of, you could argue, dark data that we're seeing more and more of, and this has happened really in the last, I'd say, four years or so, is we're seeing a huge proliferation of what we call third-party data, meaning there are data aggregators out there that sell information. And typical information is used to augment information you already have. So a typical scenario might be perhaps you're a retail company and therefore you know your customer's address information, including their zip code. Well, a third-party data source might be able to tell you the socioeconomic profile of that zip code. And through that, if you stitch it together, you end up with a much richer picture of your customer base. However, that third-party data in and of itself is a large amount of information. And so we actually are helping some of our clients look at the, those third-party data sets to see, are they still necessary? Are there public versions that are cheaper and can be used on an on-demand basis versus a subscription model where you have to buy the entire data set? Um, so those are some of the simple things we're doing to help our clients, especially those that are further along their data journey, better understand the data they're collecting and helping them get on a diet, basically. 
Andrew, you're saying all the high notes when it comes to risk mitigation, the what is your provider, who is your provider, how often is that refreshed, the ownership activities that go on with third parties and third party contracts, and of course, financial, it's money out the door if it's not looked at and assessed. Andrew, if I was a data hoarder, but I wasn't sure, where should I look first? The first thing that I would do is I would really look long and hard at what are my current use cases for data usage, meaning I would do a quick internal analysis or set of conversations to really talk through across my various data constituencies, maybe my data science community, my data analysts. What are the core domains of data that they're actually using? I would augment that with some level of log analysis. One beautiful thing around all of these data platforms today is it's fairly easy to be able to see who's touching what data. So I would augment that face-to-face -face conversation with logical analysis of those logs to see what's been touched and how often. You'll start getting some insights into patterns of usage. For example, most organizations, the heavy Data domains that get touched are things like account domains, customer domains of data, things like that. Some of the lower used domains might be maybe your HR domain where you keep inside it information about your own organization and HR specifics, right? And so through that, you can literally start tweaking kind of what data are you storing and making available versus maybe what are you eliminating versus what are you making available what we call an archive model, meaning it's not available to the broad population. However, on an as-needed basis, it can be unarchived and made available. And so that, in, in my opinion, is a great way to at least get started with this, to really apply a analytical lens to all this data that you as an organization are consuming. It's just really very empowering where you need to look your data hoarding tendencies in the eyes. And like you said, a very analytical approach that augments the face-to-face, -face, getting your arms around the expense and risk and mitigate it together. I think it's very inspiring. Andrew, how can OBV help listeners to start answering these questions? We can help in many different ways. One way is we are very comfortable asking those hard questions of data owners and the larger kind of data stakeholder communities to start helping companies identify what are their critical data assets, which is just as important a question as where do they have data that they're storing for no real business reason, right? So, so that's one area that clearly we, we help our clients in. Another area that's becoming increasingly popular, as I mentioned, is this idea of cloud cost optimization, right? Because many of our clients are either storing and using a single cloud provider, i.e. like an Amazon AWS, or many now are exploring even multi-cloud environments to mitigate risk. And in those scenarios, what we can do is we can come in with our frameworks and help them figure out, well, how are they consuming the storage on these cloud platforms and what are some optimization opportunities and some common ones include duplication of data sets believe it or not all these cloud providers um, unless you configure your environment carefully there's nothing to prevent from duplicative data from coming into your environment in particular unstructured data um, and so we have expertise in helping tune those platforms 
from a cost optimization perspective. Um, and then finally, a third area where we can advise and assist in is actually helping with some of the more sophisticated data science work. Because as anyone that's ever worked with a data scientist knows, they are half artist, half engineer, right? And so frequently those conversations are art of the possible conversation. Um, and therefore, we can also help them understand, okay, well, here's the data that is available. Here's alternatives potentially to that data that might be lower cost that will help them still get to their data science goals, whether their goal is to build a new algorithm to manage risk or whether it's uh, they're doing some sort of uh, hypothetical analysis to create a trend line, right? In those cases, again, we do have some true expertise in working with data scientists and identifying what's the most cost optimal way to get to their goal using the right level of data. And how can listeners get in touch with us? If you'd like to reach out to us, you can certainly go to openingbellventures.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I am under, if you look up Andrew Blake, uh, I am the Charlotte-based Andrew Blake. Or you can also look it up, I believe, on Andrew Blake 1 on LinkedIn. Somehow I managed to grab the first one. So I look forward to, to continuing this conversation if anyone would like to reach out. Excellent. Thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time with us today. As always, podcast listeners, we appreciate you every day of the week, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Bye.